0: The Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome to another edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Giannetti. It's a midweek show because Aaron Rodgers has been traded. Jalen Hurts has officially signed his contract in Philly. And there's more Major League Baseball contract news as well. That's the plate right now. Um, I'm going to limp into the Aaron Rodgers details, uh, and I'll mention why in a minute. Full breakdown of Jalen Hurts and an article to complement that on com as well and then cousin dan joins because brian reynolds has extended his contract with the pittsburgh pirates which got us thinking what do the top contracts in franchise history look around the league because uh reynolds 106 million in change deal is the top pittsburgh pirates contract in history what about the rest of the major league baseball so dan and i dive into that for about 20 minutes on the back end of this show. Aaron Rodgers is a jet that will become official. It sounds like 4 p.m. Eastern today. What we don't know yet, um, despite the fact that I've put in an hour's work, writing an article about the financial situation with Rodgers and the Packers and the Jets, it sure sounds like now um, sort of reading the tea leaves that Rodgers has decided to play ball here. That's not something I ever thought I would say. <laughs> The Packers needed a little bit of help, uh, and this is something I have been missing for the past couple of weeks. So there's this big stinking option bonus that we've talked about at nauseum, sitting in 2023, right? 58.3 million. It's fully fully guaranteed. That was going to get paid to him no matter what. Still going to get paid to him no matter what. I think I'm pretty sure. However, for cap purposes, an option bonus at the time of signing prorates even though it hasn't been exercised yet. But from a salary cap perspective, it was 58.3 divided by four. And that's the cap that sits between 2023 and 2026. So there's this $14.575 million cap charge sitting on the Packers uh, table for 2023. It's Because it's guaranteed, it's vested, even though it hasn't been exercised. So in order for them to transfer that to the new team after the fact that it's vested, guaranteed. It actually needed to be pushed out of the year. So what Aaron Rodgers and the Packers have agreed to is, all right, basically what we're going to do is we're going to start this contract back over slightly. And we're going to take that 58-3 and we're going to bump it down to 2024, still guaranteed but it lives in 2024 now, which means they're only sending over 1.165 million salary and a $50,000 workout bonus to the Jets in 2023 as part of this trade. All of 2024, 25, and 26 still go to the Jets as far as I'm reading right now. But semantically speaking, that option bonus for this year has been pushed temporarily to next year. Why does this matter? It's actually a very smart move by the Packers. They were never going to have to pay the 58-3. So let me say that out loud. The Packers were never going to have to pay that. That was always going to transfer to the Jets. But that 14.5 cap charge on that bonus that sat with the Packers in 2023, it would eventually go to the Jets. But the Packers would have to essentially keep it on their books through 2023 and then get a credit for it in 2024. They didn't want to do that. They want to take this 40.3 dead cap, all of which came from signing bonuses, all right now, rip the Band-Aid off and be done with the Aaron Rodgers career, financially and football-wise, after 2023. Done. All in one shot. This affords them that opportunity. So now the dead cap hit you see on SpotifyTrack.com for Rodgers, 40.313, for the Packers, is all that exists. And they want to keep it that way. And this allows them to do that. So last yesterday at 4 p.m., Aaron Rodgers finalized a revised contract that took that 58-3, pushed it to 2024 temporarily, allowing this trade to process and allowing the Packers to have a clean break. All the dead cap sits right now. There's no credit next year. There's no cap charge that has to stay through the season and then get credited back it is what it is for the Packers. They're done. They get these new draft picks and the Jordan Love era starts immediately. It's a smart move because if you think about, yes, it's a huge hit, right? 40.3 is the second largest dead cap hit in the history of football behind Matt Ryan's take last year, 40.5 with the Falcons. It's extremely smart for them to take this on now when Jordan Love is still cheap. Jordan Love's fifth year option will kick in next year that's going to account for 20 million more than what he's cost for right now. They're not going to have to deal with a bulk of dead cap coinciding with Jordan Love's essential raise coinciding with Rashawn Gary's extension, maybe an AJ Dillon extension, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it helps them immediately sort of get over the hump. And if Jordan Love can play now you can talk contract for him. Now you can talk bringing in more weapons, talking reinforcing the offensive line if David Bakhtiari has to fall off this roster, et cetera. You know how this goes. Take it all now. Take your medicine all in one time so you don't have to stretch it out over the next couple of seasons. It's good business by the Packers and it's a good move by Rodgers. Also, and again, I'm just reading tea leaves. There's no actual official reports on how this is going to work, but. It appears now that the Jets have flexibility. It appears as though, because there's now $107 million worth of option bonuses sitting in 2024. That's not going to stay. Okay, there's a 58.3 and there's a 47 million dollar option bonus sitting in 2024. So now it appears that the Jets are going to be able to go to Rogers and say, okay, let's take this and restructure some things. So let's take... 50 million of it, make it a signing bonus. We'll take a sizable chunk right now. So right now it's a $15 million dead ca- or cap hit for the Jets, 15.79. Maybe they're willing to make that 30 or 25 this year and they'll maneuver some cap hits elsewhere to free up that kind of space. The reason they would do that is they don't want to be socked with a huge dead cap hit number as I've laid out in the article. If the contract had stayed like it was, and Rodgers simply played out the contract that he had with the Jets and then retired after 2023, it's a $47 million dead cap hit. Excuse me, 43.7. Highest ever. If you played two years on that previous contract and then walked away, it's a $60 million dead cap hit for the Jets the year after. So it was extremely grappling, right? It was going to hamstring The Jets, not only cash-wise right now, but cap-wise after this thing was all said and done, possibly as early as next March. So it sounds like Aaron Rodgers has helped everybody, which is very un-Aaron Rodgers-like. The the end of the day, though, this guy's still going to make $59.9 million this year, guaranteed. It just might be a little bit next year too, right? So maybe we'll give... We'll push some of the bonus this year. We'll keep some of the bonus next year, still guaranteed. And then if you walk away, you get that money on the way out the door. If you come back, we can add that money to the option bonus, restructure some things again, take a higher cap hit so that 2025 dead cap isn't as explosive as it could be and certainly would have been on the previous contract. So what was planning to be a full breakdown of an article I wrote that extrapolated out his current contract for the jets now which was a nightmare situation sounds like something i'm gonna have to wait on until i see the new contract see the revised deal that was worked out yesterday and then we see how the jets manage this because the jets kind of now have hundred million dollars of cash in 2024 that they can whiteboard how much are we going to pull back to 23 how much are we going to keep in 2024 are we going to guarantee some of 2024 to try to coax him to stay and make sure we get two years of Aaron Rodgers out of this deal so that it's not just four draft picks for a rental. I think there's a lot of wiggle room here and the Jets might have a little bit of power to work here. But smart move by the Packers to rip this aid off at one time quickly. Potentially a smart move by Aaron Rodgers too, um, giving the Jets the ability to maneuver money he's going to make in a way that better, ha- better allows them to operate as a franchise in win now mode, because I can tell you this with 100% certainty and the Packers know this damn well too. The contract that was handed to him last March, three years, 150 million, 101 million fully guaranteed was devastating from a roster construction standpoint. It was devastating. Now you can say they lowered the cap hit, so they, everybody wins. But that's not how you want to do this, okay, from a cash and cap perspective in a win now contention. he really put them over a barrel, Green Bay, and the fact that Green Bay got out of this contract and got him to revise this thing a little bit is such a huge win, I can't say it loud enough from the top of the mountain. The fact that they got a second a first pick swap and then eventually what probably will be a first next year is unbelievable for a 39-year-old player who's showing signs of decline. Okay, He's not the back-to-back MVP right now. Now, maybe he looks better this year. Maybe he doesn't. But he wasn't that last year. So they're acquiring a player who looked like he was starting to, to decline slightly. Maybe mentally was checking out a little bit and still had this huge contract. And they gave up three significant draft picks to do it. So Packers uh, certainly did well for themselves. And regardless of how the draft goes for them, getting out of this deal is already a win. It's already a win. Even if the Jets go on to win the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, the Packers doing what they've done is exactly how they wanted this to go. Okay. A lot of smart people last March when this deal was signed said, I don't care how many, how much is guaranteed. The Packers are operating the, with this as a one and done deal. They are going to get out of this contract after one year. That's what they want. That's how they've structured this. They are willing to pay this guy $42 million in 2022 to then be a final straw of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. And that's exactly what this was. And they tried to sell it as, we're, we want him back, we want him back, but the Jets really want him. No. As of March, 2022 the Packers were ready to move on from Aaron Rodgers in 2023. We're here. They did it. They got off this gaudy contract. They got him to revise the contract and they got some draft pick compensation in the process. So it's an an excellent move for Green Bay and we'll see what kind of move it is for the Jets. Um, I want to say this. Again, I'm not going to detail too many numbers because they're going to change. And when they do change and I find out what those are, I'll be here detailing those. Last point on the Jets. Uh, I applaud the hell at of them for this. Um, it's reckless. It's dangerous. It's a huge swing. There are a lot of teams in a lot of sports, certainly in the NFL, with the hard salary cap, that would miss on Zach Wilson, and they've missed, and I know they're going to try to, rec- you know, have a reclamation project with him, if not move him to Houston. There are a lot of organizations that would have gone through that bad of a miss on the most important position in a first round pick and said, all right, we have guys that can play, but we're not going to pay Quinn and Williams $30 million a year. And we're not going to pay C.J. Mosley another $17 million. We're going to trade the majority of our core right now because we have to reset this process And get get ourselves in position to draft another high quarterback because that's how this league works now. You get a guy, you get a team that can play, especially with a defense and an offensive line. Then you get yourself in a position where you can draft the first round quarterback, and you find five years of financial value, and you let this thing tick, and you go win Super Bowls. That's what every franchise now aspires to do. That's certainly what the Jets were aspiring to do with a solid roster and Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson was the piece that didn't work. And instead of ripping the rest of it down and acquiring draft picks for good defensive players and offensive linemen, they're holding tight and they're going the exact opposite direction, right? Instead of tanking, they're going to the extreme with a ton of guaranteed money for a 39 and a half year quarterback. And they're taking the biggest swing possible. So I'm, I'm, It's probably not going to work. The percentages are very much against them right now. I think they're seventh in Super Bowl odds right now and fourth in AFC odds behind all the usuals. The percentages are not in their favor. And how Aaron Rodgers looked last year is not in their favor. Okay. But I applaud the move, I applaud the effort. Now, you can say Joe Douglas and Robert Sala were kind of on the hot seat, and this was their last big swing. Great. all right, <laughs> Great. It's probably not going to work. But damn, is it great for sports. It really is. Because you know what's boring, especially for a, a, a rabid fan base like the New York Jets have? Starting the process over and trying to nickel and dime yourself back into a situation where Everything lines up perfectly and you hit exactly how it's supposed to go, and the puzzle pieces all come together. And finally, you get to what could be a Super Bowl roster again. Instead, they're looking around and saying Sauce Gardner can play, Quinn and Williams can play. We got guys everywhere, right? Everywhere. We got a couple of linemen that can hold their own. We got a couple of running backs right now that could probably carry us to a win here and there. We got a guy in Garrett Wilson who might be a top five wide receiver in football after 2023. We got guys all over the place, and that was enough for them to say, "Look, this guy's standing out. Aaron Rodgers. How many opportunities do we have, you know, to pull in a guy like that for one or two years and see what happens?" Just sort of line up in their favor. A lot of teams would have never approached this. The Jets are doing it, and I applaud them for it, whether it works or not. So I'm not going to tell you who went, won, or lost this. Uh, I will say Aaron Rodgers. Agreeing to revise this thing, you can say it's for the Packers. It's as much for the Jets as anything. He's he's reading the room that he's about to walk into, and he doesn't want to be the guy with a sixty million dollar you know option bonus that's about to vest and add fifty to sixty million dollars at dead cap. He's he he absolutely is aware, and his agents have made aware, and the Jets have made him aware that the current contract was just not tenable to win a championship. It wasn't. Adding all that bonus proration into the immediacy of, of what this is going to be, right? One, maybe two years. is just reckless, too reckless to deal with. So sure, we're going to give up next year's first round pick. And that's something we didn't want to have to do, but we're going to do it. But we need you to play ball a little bit here. I never thought Rodgers would do it. But as of the report this morning, he's done it. So now we get to sit here and watch. To just what degree do the Jets get to restructure this thing to make it work for them? Will they take on a little bit more this year? They should. And uh, how will that impact 2024 and 2025? What kind of cash might be sitting there for Rodgers next year that could spark his debate about whether he wants to come back and play and or not? Fascinating stuff. Um, All things seem to be lining up as they should. The Rodgers contract was really the one thorn in the wall right now that I thought was gonna break these two sides. And instead it's uh, it's gonna get revised. So I think it's a positive step for all parties. Um, I love the, what the Jets are trying to do here. I don't think it's gonna work. And I absolutely applaud the Packers for sticking to their guns, getting out of this contract, getting back the draft compensation, taking it all on this year, and affording themselves the best opportunity to say, Jordan Love, it's your time. And if you show us a little bit right now, we'll have the ability to really front load some contracts and bring in some talent for you next year to really see what we have with you on that fifth year option. So, good news all around. Let's get to Jalen Hurts. You know, it's easy to analyze this thing from the blimp and say, 51 a year, great. 110 guaranteed at signing, great. And then I see a lot of people in parallel saying, well, he gave up so much there's there were there's so much that he gave up for for team purposes for Eagles purposes and we've seen so many you know quarterbacks do this in the past now and it's becoming a thing so will he ever make the money he he needs to make or is it backloaded and fluffy this was a really complicated contract to break down most Eagles contracts are because there's a lot of conditions a lot of bonuses that could vest a lot of bonuses that could be converted to salary if they need to um, the guarantee on some of these bonuses is sort of incremental. So for instance, $4 million of 2026 is right now, another $16 million next year, another $30 million in two years. Um, and that's all based on the vesting of an option bonus, which could or could happen four years from now. So again, Spodrick.com, breaking down Jalen Hurts' extension. That's a new article posted as of yesterday. I did as much as I could on this without getting too far down the rabbit hole. Um, I'm going to try to do a more detailed YouTube video assessing every number on this contract so people can understand where we're going. Um, two things I want to talk about here. There's no question the year one money and the year two money is low. And I've I've laid that out, you know, as much as possible in this article. Um, his two-year cash of 64 and change is 10th which isn't the worst, obviously, you know, and I think being top 10 was good enough for him in that regard. You have to remember they were replacing year four and year five or year four of his rookie contract. There was no fifth year option. He was a second round pick. So they were replacing 4.3 million from the rookie deal. That's it. Now you can, you can throw a franchise tag in there and say that it was actually going to be, you know, 35 plus four, so 40 million-ish. Sure. He's only making 24 million this year. That's a low number. That's a low number. And the, and it's that way because of a small signing bonus. And one of the paragraphs in my article is, why is this signing bonus so small? Did he really take less money right now? Yes. But it's because of what, what I mentioned. The Eagles don't just hand you one big bonus and say, there's your there's your big payday on this contract. Now we get base salaries that are cheap so we can finagle the cap and make it work for us. They do a, a, a decent size signing bonus and then a decent sized second year option bonus. And then a decent sized third year option bonus. And in, and in this case, a decent size fourth year option bonus. And then in this case, a decent size fifth year option bonus. And then in this case, a decent year sixth year there are six option bonuses on this thing, folks. Six. Now, they don't all have to vest to prorate, right? Like I said, they can take on some of those as actual base salary instead, convert some of it to signing bonus and go from there. And they will. They'll finagle this thing on a year-to-year basis. But for the most part, over the next three seasons, it's going to be bonuses of 23, 38, and 40, which sounds a hell of a lot like Aaron Rodgers, right? So as I mentioned, this is kind of a steroid version of that Rodgers contract. Only this player is only 25 years old, okay? And he was in the Super Bowl last year. So the cap hits that you're seeing, and you saw Schefter and those guys throw them out early because it really really does tell the story of why this contract is structured like it is. Here's your cap hits for Jalen Hurts. 6.1, 13.5, 21.7, 31.7, 45.8, and 54.1. That's a $54 million hit in 2028 when the salary cap is going to be at least 275. So none of these salary cap hits account for 20% of the lead cap, in my opinion, based on uh, an extrapolation. That's why this looks like it does. That's why there's four, there's six bonuses. That's why all of the base salaries right now are, are VET minimums. All of them. All right. There's a lot to do here. And there's a lot of decisions that Howie Roseman's going to have to make on a year-to-year basis. But what he likes to do with all of his contracts, and especially with this massive quarterback one, is I'm going to start this thing giving myself the absolute best possible cap out of the gate versus I'm going to build in $80 million in year three knowing I'm going to have to restructure it and, we're, and, and we'll move her from there. He basically says, screw it. I'm going to structure this thing so that the cap hits already work in my favor. And then at any point in time, I decide or we decide as an organization, hey, we might need to get out of this thing at some point in time. He can take one of those option bonuses. And like I said, push in the salary, move some things around, take on more right now to start to eliminate that bonus probation. It's not going to do much. I can tell you that right now, because anytime you have three to four to five to six option bonuses and you're you plan on investing at least half of them, which like I said, is going to happen over the next three seasons. The dead cap is going to get insane. And insane is an understatement right now. So if I just gave you 60 and change in two years for Aaron Rodgers, hold my beer, Jalen Hurts. That's what this is all about. Let's just say, because a lot of people are writing the line of demarcation after 2026, four years in this contract. It's kind of standard for quarterbacks to Start renegotiating with two years left on their deal. A lot of times it doesn't actually happen until one year left, which would be after 2027. So, to start talking about getting out of this contract after 2026 is sort of natural, even though, like I said, the cap hits don't have to be touched right now. You could walk through this thing the next six years as is, and they would be just fine. I'm going to start there. Let's say that's exactly what happens. Jalen Hurts plays out this entire six year contract. He'll be 30 years old, okay? This is the dead cap that sits in 2030, excuse me, 2029, after finishing the whole contract. We're sitting in March of 2029. The Eagles have not yet re-extended him, right? There's a chance he goes to free agency. There's a chance they franchised him. Let's just say it's up in the air and the contract has expired. $87 million of dead cap. Will be sitting there for them. 87. Now, in 2029, with a $300 million league cap, you know, early projection, maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Maybe those are numbers that we're just getting used to, sort of like 70 million a year in the NBA, which is what we're approaching. I don't think that's going to be a tenable number quite yet, right? And even on a post June 1st, you're talking 41 41 for two years. I guess that's going to be doable at that point in time. But there's no way that's not going to hurt their franchise. The point of this is they don't care. And when you start getting teams that just don't care anymore about expiration dead cap, and we're seeing a lot of it now, a lot. We're finally getting to a place where I think we should have been 10 years ago, which is if we're thinking about six years from now, today, we are doing a disservice to our current organization and our current roster and our current coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera. This league has and makes so much freaking money that to budget like we do as homeowners, right? Like, oh, I don't know. I got I to do windows in four years, right? I, 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 I really better start you know, doing generic cereal instead. Something like that. You know what I'm talking about. It is reckless for an NFL team to do that. It just is. Now, I'm not telling people how to spend their money. But if the goal is to win, and you're in an organization right now that has at least a sniff of a chance to win, thinking about six years from now, like I've done in this article, is incorrect. They shouldn't give a rat's behind about $86 million of dead cap in 2029. They just shouldn't. Because the way that they look at it is, we might have two Super Bowls by then, and if this guy's still de- still decent at age thirty, it doesn't matter, because all of that future voided voided dead cap bonus proration is just going to transfer to the next contract we give him, and that is how they're thinking. And and if you read the concluding thoughts in my article, that is where I stood, which is instead of thinking negative, how can we get out of this contract? What's it going to look like? Which I did. I, I I wanted to make sure I made point of this dead cap because it's there and it's it's a benefit of wh- how the Eagles structure all their contracts, right? There's always going to be something hanging there. Fletcher Cox is going to have dead cap. Derek Burnett's going to have dead cap. Okay. Lane Johnson's going to have a ton of dead cap because he's gotten like six contracts. Instead of looking at it that way, it's just how the Eagles do business and we should be a- applauding them for thinking short term which they've always kind of done. And now, because they have the quarterback and they think this is the guy for at least five years, right? That thought process is expedited and it's amplified. And now everything is going to be short-term. Who gives a rats behind about 2029? Not us, right? That's for the Cowboys to worry about. Okay, that's for the Giants who, who might be on quarterback number three at that point, right? After two and done with Daniel Jones, and then we'll see. We got our guy. We're confident that this guy can can get us through five, six seasons, and so much so that we're betting on the fact that that dead cap's never going to matter to us because it's going to be it's going to stay spread out and it's going to roll into the next extension. And this guy's going to be here for ten years. They're thinking positive, but they're also not caring about the negative of that could happen because they've made their next six years, let's say five, right? They've made their next five years extremely doable, buildable, attainable, retainable on their quarterback contract. So what else matters? Essentially, they've created a veteran wage scale system for a quarterback contract. Right. For all the talk we give to how the first round rookie contract is five years of absolute value, from a cap perspective, Jalen Hurts contract is a veteran scaled contract. And now they know exactly what they can deal with, right? They can, they can extend player X next year because Jalen Hurts only accounts for $13.5 million. Already, they don't have to do anything to it. It's, already, it. it's already there. All they have to do is exercise the option bonus, which they're going to do. It's fully guaranteed. And that's, what that, that's the number Jalen Hurts brings. So what did he give up? His two-year cash is 10th, okay? his three-year cash is eighth. So what he gave up is being top five in any kind of cash flow, all right? But you know what's not eighth or 10th or 13th on this contract? The guarantee, all right? That 110 guaranteed at signing is third all time, ahead of Josh Allen, ahead of Kyler Murray, And the 179 of practical guarantees, and it's extremely practical when you see the structure of this thing, I mean, that's four years, right? Four years and change. It's four years plus a 2027 guarantee that kicks in. That's what the practical guarantee is. That's second. Only Deshaun Watson, that contract that we're not supposed to talk about, it's like Voldemort. Only Deshaun Watson sits ahead of Jalen Hurts in practical guarantees. So... What he gave up in cash flow, he acquired in stability. And that should matter because he's not the biggest guy in the world. Because he's not the most stand-in-the-pocket type quarterback. He's going to get hit. All right? And there's probably going to be a year, maybe two, over the next five or six on this contract where he's banged up, where he's not the player he wants to be. Because that's the nature of this game, right? But he's got stability. He's got financial stability on this contract. So what he gave up in cash flow to not be top five or top three, he acquired instability. And I think that's a pretty damn good trade off. Because at the end of the day, when he gets through 2027, and I think he will in this contract, five years, he's got $208 million in his contract, in his pocket. And if he wins an MVP or a Super Bowl, that goes up millions, as you can see. So, five years at 208. Most of that is practically guaranteed, half of 2027. He's just not top 10 in two year, three year cash. I think it's really good work by the agent. I really do. Um, I know the Eagles push back pretty hard on the cap stuff, they always do. So, instead of getting bullied into a deal where the agent got fleeced and Jalen Hurts gets fleeced, it's fine. I'll take a little less right now and a little less next year. And, you know, not the greatest over three years, but you're gonna ensure that I'm gonna be here for year four and you're gonna ensure that I'm gonna be here for year five. And if not, the dead cap's gonna be so bad, so gross that you're gonna either have to trade me before that option bonus vest in twenty twenty seven, or you're gonna let me walk away with twenty two million cash in my hand, which is the other trade off in twenty twenty seven. It's a really good back and forth. Nobody lost. Nobody won. Okay. It's a nice back and forth, and I do think, especially as teams really understand how how much greater this league salary cap is going to get, I really do think we're going to see more teams do this. Um, I've seen a couple of notes. I think based on the article that I wrote today with Jalen Hurts mentioning Patrick Mahomes in all of this. I told you, every time a quarterback contract comes up, we're going to have to talk about Patrick Mahomes. Here's the bullet that I, that I added to the cash flow of Jalen Hurts. All right. 64.3 is what Jalen Hurts will make over the next two seasons, the two-year cash flow on this contract. It's 10th. It's 30 million more than Patrick Mahomes had over his first two seasons on that massive contract. 30 million. So if you think Jalen Hurts gave up, the farm from a cash flow perspective, and that's the take you've put out there. You better go back to Patrick Mahomes and understand just how crazy the structure of that contract is, at least for three, four seasons. Okay. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes earned $32 million over the first two seasons, 65 over three. Jalen Hurts will make almost as much as Pat, Patrick Mahomes made in three years in two years. Now, that's what a 12-year contract can do, alright We're going we're to make this basically tiers. Tier, tier one is the first three years. Tier two is, tier two is the next three years. And then 2027 20, and on, the numbers are really gaudy. It's still an excellent contract from Mahomes. I just wanted to put it in reference of this Hurts deal which is a more traditional contract, right? Five-year extension, six years total. It's perfectly plausible for what Jalen Hurts has done here. Taking top eight money to start the contract, knowing there's 51 million coming in six, seven, and eight. Perfectly plausible. It's not even fluffy. It's not. The structure of this holds him in for five years. So it's a great deal. And there's plenty more to read on it at SpotTrack.com breaking down Jalen Hurts' $255 million extension. That is now live on the website. Let's talk some baseball with Cousin Dan. All right, Dan, another day, another top contract in franchise history. Brian Reynolds locks in $106.75 million with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I guess just uh, off the top here, your thoughts on that? That was a contentious situation, a back and forth between a player who I, I think was struggling between, do I stay with this franchise long-term or do I... Uh, force my way out of town and, and, and change scenery a little bit here, and it ends up that he's going to be here for the next six to ten years, right?
1: Yeah, it certainly seems that way, and it it was surprising based on what we heard um, coming out of spring training that they were close to this almost exact deal, um, but his side wanted opt outs included. Um, it sounds like they did not get those included, but he does have some limited no trade clause, so maybe that was. Um, what got worked in over the last couple of weeks, but that's kind of where I'm trying to to figure out what changed since opening day yeah. um, when this exact, pretty much this exact contract is what was reported um, three weeks ago. So, but yeah, everything leading up to this seemed like Brian Reynolds was set to leave town, um, wanted a long-term deal. It mm-hmm. seemed like Pittsburgh was really low balling him Um I mean, technically this is still probably a little bit low, a bit of a team friendly deal, which makes this all the more surprising. It seemed like things were trending that he wanted to leave. Um, Maybe that's reading a little bit too much into the media stuff that was out there. Um, But there, there's been a lot of talk for what, three, almost two and a half years now um, linking back to him that they, they were maybe talking about him in trade discussions. So um, it's just all very surprising that, um, it, it kind of went this direction this quickly. I, I thought we would kind of see this linger into the off season a little bit because he did um, still have a couple years of team control. The Pirates themselves weren't really um, backed into a corner to do this, so I guess I, I, I will commend them and say good on them. They did get this done now. Um, it, it it'll need to continue as some of this talent progresses, but um, you know, a good yeah. first or second step if you want to consider maybe Cabrian Hayes, the first piece that they locked up lat at the beginning of last year, um, and this is their kind of second move um, moving forward. So, yeah, sorry, long winded, long winded summary of my thoughts on this, but um, very surprised is is simply put.
0: <clears throat> yeah, uh, um, the sixteen and eight start definitely helps. I think it's a it's a sign of good times or better times coming for Pittsburgh. There's no question about that. Um, you know, just cost analysis, real quick here. He, he was a he was a four year arbitration player. And he was on pace to, I don't know, approach. I think thirty million total. He's going he's gonna get there now. He's gonna blow past that in arbitration. So I think he wins a little bit now. That might have been what helped here. Is I bet they uh, I bet they've front loaded a little bit more cash into this latest offer than they had originally, um, so a little bit more now in your pocket, and then uh, we can kind of see from there. But look, the the six years of free agency, which is what it could be with a club option, barely averages fifteen million a year. And uh, you know, after seeing a deal for Nimmo in free agency, and seeing where Corbin Carroll is, and seeing where some of these top flight outfielders with with some speed and some power. Are getting to I don't think it's wrong right now to say that he may have underserved himself for his free agent years yeah I agree and
1: and the one point I kind of didn't leave off is is his start too he's off to a career year I mean he was probably the best outfielder in baseball through the first two weeks um specifically off on on offense so I uh, it did not trend. Things were not trending towards me thinking he was going to take a hometown discount in a noted uh, low budget organization um, that like hasn't really committed a lot to, to their current roster in recent years. So yeah. um, but maybe he maybe he buys in, sees some of the talent coming up. I mean, they they have done a pretty nice job of filling that system with talent now, whether they um, refine it at all and, and, and develop it is, uh, to be determined, but it's at least there. So, um, the other thing with this is I I get the, the note, the limited, no trade protection. If he wants to get out of Pittsburgh, he's not going to block a a trade. No, he's going to go under that. Yeah. So I I don't even think this, I, I still am pretty confident he doesn't see, um, this through the end of the deal, but getting I'm getting a decade ahead of myself
0: here on no that. not not so much. I think uh I think that's about three years and done with that request. You know he'll probably give Pittsburgh three to four more years to, to try to continue this build. obviously obviously seeing what we're seeing, which is at least some positive steps, but that's the other side of this right that's the other side of taking a little bit less is it's a tradable contract. So if he's still a 290 25 Homer 25 double player, you know three years from now and the pirates kind of still look like this, right? They show flashes, but there's not really a chance for them to win this division. I think he absolutely can demand that trade and there's going to be a lot of teams signing up for 14 and a half million a year for Brian Reynolds. So that's the other side of taking a little bit less is you make yourself more marketable to the rest of the league. Um, this conversation, this top contract in history always gets me thinking about where it stands with everybody else. And, uh, and, I spent some time on a spreadsheet, Dan, that basically lays out the top, the, the top total value contract in franchise history for each of the 30 current Major League Baseball teams. Uh, you've seen this list. Is the talking point the teams at the top of this list or the bottom of this list? I'll ask that. Probably the bottom. I
1: don't really think there's a ton of surprises at the top. Um, mm mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd say the lack of spending over the last decade or so um, is kind yeah. of the, the, talk, the,
0: the talking the, point. There's three franchises that have yet to hand out a $100 million, a $90 million, an $83 million contract in the history of their sport. Um, one of those teams surprised me. It just threw me off because it's not a small market city, even though I think they've operated like a small market team in a big market city. Uh, obviously Oakland's at the bottom of this list you could have asked a thousand people and I think 999 of them would have said Oakland Um, for those who are uh, inside baseball out there it's Eric Chavez six years 66 million dollars back in 2005 so if if you're trying to poke holes in the fact that the athletics really haven't spent a lot of money in the past decade and a half there's your answer right there Uh, They just haven't found a player that they've deemed worthy of a $67 million contract in 15, 20 years. So um, no surprise there. No surprise that the Royals are near the bottom of this list. That's just not a team that has seen the kind of talent that is worthy of a $100 million contract. Now they've got some players there now. So I think this is going to change quickly. I think you'd agree with that. Um, I I see a couple of blockbuster pre-arbitration extensions in their future. Uh, But to this point, They've been benefactors of taking on baggage, right? They've taken players on big contracts away from other teams and sort of let them finish their careers as a Royal and it's worked. They've got themselves to, I think, to the 2016 World Series, et cetera, et cetera. So teams operate differently based on how they they can handle their finances. The team that surprises me, Dan, and I want you to kind of run with this one, is the White Sox sit second last in this this list. the largest total value contract for the Chicago White Sox happened this year in free agency, Andrew Benintendi's five-year, $75 million contract. That one threw me off. Um, A, they've had some players. and B, they've had this crop of international talent that they've signed, right? They've signed Ivo Jimenez and Juan Mancada, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess it just I just didn't realize that these players didn't even approach you know, what other teams have paid for their top prospects in, in the past. Why is this team operating this way?
1: So I hope anyone listening from Chicago or the White Sox that listened to my explanation on, I, I, don't butcher me if I get things wrong, because I'm sure you're way more married to this situation, but um it seems very much like it's owner it's an ownership related thing jerry jerry Reisdorf, Reinsdorf is a notoriously he uh, sorry i shouldn't comment on him pur- purposely he he's a it seems like he's a meddling owner we saw this as late as last year with the tony larussa stuff when everybody thought that was a bad idea he hired tony larussa as like a good old boys hire it was his buddy um felt comfortable etc so I think it really starts at the top and and I didn't really even walk it back for far enough. He, he's a multi-billionaire who has the money and then typically does not spend the money on the team outside of certain windows. And when he has, when they have chosen to dip into that territory, it's typically incorrect. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. they just have had very few um, hits lately. Um, even, I mean, I don't want to start criticizing the general manager because there might be some, like... Sure, he might be um, suppressed. Exactly. So I, it's really hard to even get a read there if they're just operating inefficiently. And I say that largely because, like, looking at the current White Sox roster, they sort of tried to do what we have been... um you know, giving fanfare to the Braves for with all these pre-arb extensions. The White Sox were actually maybe a half step ahead of them on trying to lock some of these young, talented international guys down long-term. It just simply didn't really work with Luis Robert, Aloy Jimenez, um, Yohan Makata, guys like that. They locked them up um, pretty early and it just hasn't really paid dividends. Now, if those players turned into Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Players of that caliber, we would be talking about something very differently, in my opinion, and they might be supplanting that talent with actual free agent signings. Um, but it's just a mess. I mean, I, fans there have taken out a billboard. I mean, maybe this is a yearly <laughs> tradition, but I know at least this year there's a billboard saying, Sell the team, Jerry. And it, it the cell is with an s that this the White Sox use, and he apparently he looked into possible copyright infringement. It, it just everything about this reeks cheap, and an internal battle between the fan base and ownership plus slash the organization. And typically, when that is the case, things deteriorate pretty, pretty quickly. So, I could I was somebody who personally liked this roster coming in. I thought they had five good starting pitchers. I thought they had a pretty um talented uh lineup and offensively. It's just it's went off the rails pretty quickly here and I don't know if it gets back um back on and I don't know if they really have the pieces to kind of like move this thing on the fly. So, um yeah, it's pretty Pretty bad overall. Just comparatively, I looked it up real quick. Uh specifically with Oakland, who had one contract of this magnitude, like you said, Eric Chavez six for sixty six. Comparatively, the Yankees have had 20. We have 20 contracts in our system over 66 million dollars, just for context. Just for context. So um and the and the White Sox aren't far behind. I mean, they have cleared that six. I show they've cleared that number six times. So um, not a lot of spending power in those two
0: spots. Can I offer maybe an alternative approach to the White Sox here? Because um, you mentioned a lot of those names, and there's even more, right? There's Jose Abreu. There's, it, it goes back quite a while with how they've tried to build this roster, internationally speaking, and I think that's fair, right? The Canerco days are, and the Chris Sale days for this franchise are long gone, I mean, and that was traditional taking a top first-round pick, letting him develop in the system, bringing him up, giving him his rookie extension of 30-some million, which is what both those guys got, and then uh, trying to piece together a roster around them. They've completely abandoned that approach, in my opinion, with the names that you've mentioned. They've gone all international, and in some cases it's hit, but as a whole it hasn't. And especially with the Braves of the world and even the Jimenez's of the world, by the time it's time to pay those players, They're just too damn old to give them any kind of term, right? Uh, Jose Abreu got three for 50 in his real big extension with with, with the White Sox because he was 32 years old by the time he got through service time. So I guess you can call that a whole new level of frugal, right? (laughs) You're bringing in talented players internationally that you know once they get through service time are going to be too old to sit down and actually negotiate an eight-year extension or a 10-year extension, like some of these other players are seeing, like Brian Reynolds just went through with Pittsburgh. So there's two ways to look at that, right? I want to get players who can play right now. And also I want to get players who I'm never going to have to pay the big dollar to. And for the most part, that has been unsuccessful. This team has been wildly underperforming for five years now. And I think it has a lot to do with this. I think it has a lot to do with they've abandoned the, the, approach that so many other organizations have found to get from zero to 100, and they're not there. And they're, again, they're floundering again in 2023. So um, this is, a, you can say we're sort of cherry picking with this topic, right? Because it's, we're not talking about annual average salary. We're not talking about, you know, total payroll in any given season. We're talking about one contract and, and, and one look at one player. The White Sox just simply haven't had that player. And that could be self-induced, like I'm mentioning here. They might have done this on purpose, or it could just be that they choose not to do this. They want to live and operate in short windows. And those short windows just aren't working for them. They need to think maybe bigger, bigger and broader, sort of like Houston did with, you know, we're going to start this process in 2015. And maybe by the time we get to 2020, we'll be a an annually successful franchise, but I I just think whatever they're doing is not working. And that's pretty obvious.
1: Yeah. And that's, I think the self-awareness part is maybe where they're lacking because, uh, you know, returning to my point that the the players I listed, I mean, I even forgot about Tim Anderson. You have, you have a core of five really exceptional players there. And the range of outcomes just hit very low on, on this collective group. But I think the writing was on the wall before this injury. I mean, you can say Robert, Anderson, Mak- Makata, that mm-hmm. all those guys, Jimenez, all those guys have struggled with injuries. It's true, but at a certain point, when does that become their identity? This like frequently um, injured team that just um, doesn't have the right pieces. And we see that. We, sometimes we see well constructed rosters that we just don't understand why the pieces don't fit. And this is one of those times for me personally, I really like some of the pieces they have there. Um, but like, I mean, like is Fernando, Fernando Tatis was in this organization. They changed, trade, they traded him for that James, that massive James Shields deal years ago, which was immediately terrible for them. Um, I mean, you have some nice players like Andrew Vaughn, but he was miscast early in his career as an outfielder because he was yeah. stuck behind Jose Abreu. It's just moves like that, that I just like.
0: And they missed yeah. on Giolito. That was their one big first round pick that they were banking on being the ace of their future. And he's not it. He's not it. They're better off with a sixth rounder in Dylan Cease right now, who's outplayed him, you know, year by year here. So yeah. it's not all that you know. They have tried, I guess, to piece things together the right way at times. They've missed. They they flat out missed. Uh, you're right with Tatista. That's a that's a name that should be brought up here because that should be their their name. That should be their top contract right now, right? That should be the guy that they're building the franchise around at three hundred million dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think this organization would have paid Fernando Tatis Jr. yet? (laughs) No, no, I don't either. I don't either. All right, let's move on a little bit. Um, Here's another thing I noticed just with trends with this list of 30 players. Not a lot of pitchers, Dan, right? I, I mean, for all the talk we have about how important it is to get a bona fide ace, those bona fide aces don't generally get the longest, biggest contracts in baseball. Is that simply because of the injury, because of the shelf life? You know, it's sort of like having a great running back or wide receiver where you know that you can get a window with this guy and you can pay him good money, but you got to fall off a cliff at some point in time. Is that what this is? Or is it simply just easier to hand a Bryce Harper type player 12 years versus, you know, Garrett Cole on six to eight years? You are, you're definitely right.
1: Um, I, I you're definitely right and it's easier to commit longer term bigger money to a position player they're more projectable um less injury concerns. They I think if we, more. <laughs> Yeah, right. I I think it would be interesting for us to specifically pull AAV for pitchers, biggest AAV contracts for pitchers um because a little bit of that not being included on here is just sample sample size um no, so you're not wrong. You're not wrong. They're
0: getting but, bigger average contracts and shorter windows. That's what they're right. doing. Right. So yep. we're gonna see the two,
1: three, four year, 80, $90 million mm-hmm. dollar contracts be um prominent. But I would I, I think that's a nice little think piece for us is to pull that data via pitchers and see what the separation is um in that realm too. But just specifically this sample of data that we have, it wasn't too surprising to me um that the pitchers, um weren't really. Present the on only it, reason so. I really bring
0: it up here, Dan, is is that that's what makes the Otani stuff so damn hard, right? Is you're going to have to pay a player. In both regards, you know, are you paying him as a position player? Are you paying him as a pitcher? Are you going to give him term, as a DH? Are you going to give him term as a starting pitcher? That's what makes it so hard, right? All the all these things that they that are sort of pre-built into Major League Baseball thinking go out the window with this guy. You know, so are you going to pay him five years as a pitcher and five years as a DH and make that a 10 year contract? I, I, I'm i so fascinated with how all these GMs are thinking right now because they're all ramping up for some sort of offer in the next couple of months. It's it's really a fascinating thing to think about. Um, yeah, I, go ahead. where I, I really want to. I'm.
1: How do I put this? What I maybe we'll never even hear these numbers. What I'm really interested in is when these numbers start coming and negotiations start happening. Is how teams alter their offers on the fly. So they're all going to plug these numbers into some sort of formula. But when negotiations start happening and multiple teams are involved, and let's just play it out and say the Dodgers are willing to give him X amount more because they think he projects an extra year as a pitcher, and they're willing to. To include like that's going to be the nuance that I'm really interested in. Is when team, if we ever get some sort of snapshot into the actual offers, I like think the we math will. The actual we, you know,
0: we're seeing that with Judge sort of trickle out now. I, I I do think we will get that because it really is such a fascinating story from A to Z. uh But you're right. The, the way I see it, though, Dan is, and, and you sort of alluded to it there. I think a team like the Dodgers is going to come in and say, "We are willing to burn." Two hundred million dollars, just to say, you're a forty million dollar player every year for the next ten years, twelve years, whatever it is. And if you're not, you're not. But we're gonna we we have the resources and the wherewithal just to say, we're not gonna nickel and dime you when you're thirty two and can't pitch anymore, or thirty four and pitch. Other teams are gonna try to do that. To me, that would be my negotiating tactic if I'm major market team trying to get Shohei Otani. other teams are going to try to reevaluate you in five years and we're going to say we don't need to do that because your next five years make the next make the last five years worth our time and our money so I, I just think at the end of the day somebody's going to come with an offer that is an effort offer basically like an effort offer we're just in we can spend the money we're going to spend the money so at the end of the day that's what we're going to do
1: Huh. I, I agree with that, with that actually, which makes uh, some of this kind of tongue in cheek, like two years of an- not even just us, every yeah. outlet in baseball. Because it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it is. Right? I just well, think at the
0: end of the day, it's going to be all for naught, but that's OK. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, you're totally right. And that's all I want to say is we're having a lot of fun trying yeah. to put this in a nice, neat box and how they're going to form it and how it should be developed. When really one team can just come in and yeah. without saying it, say, Come to us last and we'll match whatever is there or yeah. we'll jump it or whatever because we just flat out don't care. And in Otani, that I keep coming back to Otani is that guy because pitcher, hitter, he does everything well. He will last, he will still have a major presence offensively. The international draw, there's so much intangible to him um if you sign him I don't think an organization like you can't even put a financial value on some of what he'll bring to an organization so I I, it it is funny though I'm just pointing out the 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 irony you know the comic irony of us everybody dedicating so much time when really it could just be thrown out the window (laughs) if one team wants to get stupid right so which I think is gonna have I think that is what's going to happen but in the it's meantime, it's a lot of fun to try and figure
0: out. Anytime you have the big boys all in together collectively on uh, right. one player, it just comes down to a, you know, a meat parade. And, and at the end of the day, somebody's just going to throw three Brinks trucks out the window and say, here you go. This is all it takes. We know how this works. Um, even though some of it, you know, geography and stuff like that is going to matter. I, I would imagine too. Uh, but the Dodgers certainly have that in their favor as well. Uh, By the way, Seattle is in on this. I want to make sure that's out there. Seattle's going to be one of these teams.
1: I don't know if you (laughs) saw that report. Heyman, John Heyman directly linked them. I think he threw five teams out there in one of his latest reports and Seattle was on it.
0: Absolutely. They're going to be in on this. Um, I want to talk Seattle quickly here uh, because I'm going to post this as an article on spottrick.com after we're done. Robinson Cano is the name right now. 10 years to 40. That's the largest total value contract at signing in Mariners history. But Julio Rodriguez has to be in this conversation because he has sort of two contracts put together at, in one, right? So that the guarantee at signing with Julio Rodriguez is X, but what he can make and probably will make after they unlock all of these club options is going to be miles past what Robinson Cano made on his 240. So it's a bit of an asterisk situation. So when you're reading this, and you're looking at this table and you see Robinson Cano and you think, oh, my God, just remember that this guy's hanging out there and he's going to make four million million in the Mariners at some point in time. here.
1: Yeah. We're so, going to see uh, a lot more of that, too, just just to note. I was
0: going to ask you, do you think there's a chance Otani takes something like that? Well, uh, sort of a twofold contract or is he just too old for that kind of thing? True. Th-
1: this. In my opinion, everything, this is like the perfect scenario for him. He's at the top of his game, everything, in everything. This is the time you just cash in and do it.
0: Um, It's more for the 22-year-old coming up who the team is pretty sure that they're going to hit big at some point. We're willing to pay you X dollars now to get to that point. And then when you do hit big, you'll make hundreds of millions, right? It's more for that kind of player.
1: I guess what I'm, I guess what I was alluding to more was, I mean, you're right. You're right. What I was directly alluding to is we're going to see this more with these opt-out, these multi-year opt-outs mm. where the, where the contract is reported, at, like you experience with football every single day of your life, the contract it, is the reported as signed. a, right. <laughs> the contract is reported as a, it could go one of two very different routes, um, which is the Julio contract. He could be there for most of his career. He could be gone in a couple of years. It just depends on how things play out and how that contract um, plays out. But with these multi-year opt-outs, I think we're going to see this a lot more, where we're like talking about the full mm-hmm. length of the contract without really subliminally thinking that there's really a lot of ways that he doesn't finish that contract or make significantly more or less than what's being directly reported at the time. So,
0: any other names here jump out that you want to focus on?
1: I this isn't a big this is this wasn't a huge surprise to me but toronto Mm. was a little bit surprising to me like i know that they were so low they're like in the bottom 10th or the sorry the bottom 10 of the league bottom third of the league um with the george springer contract and i distinctly remember when he signed that a couple years ago them saying six for 150 was the biggest deal ever given out by toronto and that that just took me back it's just a team with a, a lot of history. They've had really talented players there. It just kind of shocked me that no one had been locked up for more than that at any point, but I guess. you know it's just, what the,
0: like, do, you, do you know what it was before then? I do. I remember this. Carlo, vividly. C- Carlos Delgado. No. I don't know. Vernon Wells in 2007,
1: oh, an okay. extension. Yeah.
0: So then. yeah, it's similar to the White Sox. A lot of good players have come through there, but generally they've been picking players off in older stages of their careers on shorter contracts, which do pay out well, just not top of the league, you know? So it's been a very similar approach for Toronto, I think, to uh, some of these other franchises we've talked about today already. That's going to change, right? Because they are they are now structured very differently than they've, they've, they've been in the past, which is bottom-up. Um, draft picks have hit superstars are here they're not you know there's no waiting in the wings anymore it's time to start paying some of these players um how high on this list do you expect Vlad jr to be at some point in time if if mike trouts the bar right now at 426 and change and uh mookie betts and aaron judge and manny machado and francisco Lindor and bryce harper and Corey seeger and Giancarlo Stanton and Rafael Devers all have 300 million plus where do you see Vlad Jr in this conversation
1: yeah i'm i'm at 300 for for Vlad maybe that's personal bias but um mm-hmm. he's stupid young still at like yeah. people are getting burned out on Vlad talk i mean because he's been around so many years he's still what 20 is he 24 i um, i'm not but, even sure he's there yeah but, regardless, he's still so young. Um, the one drawback you can make is that he's a first baseman, but I mean, like hmm. it's kind of picking nits at that point. The guy is just really well-rounded player, keeps making um adjustments. We saw him struggle last year. He said he was just personally taking on too much, trying to do too much on a struggling team, coming off of um you know, that twenty twenty year where they just blew the doors off everyone, then lost Marcus Simeon. Um, so, I I just he's he's a P Alonso player I have very very few reservations in committing big term or big money to that player because I think it's the um it's a profile that will age well versus um some similar some maybe similar players at that position that won't age as well with a with a different slightly
0: different profile so we're a month in and he's batting 330 right now yeah (laughs) i mean i mean this guy is literally doing it all uh he's changed his body a couple times to make sure that he can he can last the marathon season he's done everything that they've asked uh i i i I do think that he's going to be in the top five here at some point in time maybe not quite to manny machado's number but somewhere around that 350 mark seems about right for for him as the next man up trip type conversation um Many of these contracts have happened in the past two seasons, two off-seasons and or in-seasons. In fact, that number stands at 12, Dan. Almost half the league has signed the largest contract in franchise history since 2022. Is that just a product of the game? Um, You know, as the new CBA and the tax thresholds have increased, things have gone up. Do we have more superstars in the league right now? Is it a good time for baseball sort of like it is for the NBA right now? Um, or is it just the way it works next man up type philosophy? And that's just how the league is going to continue to be.
1: I think it kind of highlights the separation between the 1%. um, Yeah. You've said this a couple of
0: times. It's it's a problem, right? Yeah.
1: It's, I mean, it's, it's someone's problem. It just depends on who is the, (laughs) is holding the bag. Right. Um, not the money bag. I mean, the empty bag. Um, yeah, I, it's not super surprising to me. That's why the George Springer comment was a little tongue in cheek, because that was more just like the last guy that they paid a big contract to um over the last few years. Um, because we've seen in the last two, three years specifically, the free agent spending just explode and these numbers are part of the reason those, those totals have exploded. So, um, it's not really shocking to me that half the league has been, um, you know, pretty recent. Mm -hmm. I I think we're going to keep seeing that, that trend. I I think, um, the interest is, is like who keeps jumping themselves, who keeps like signing a new biggest contract, um, Mm -hmm. while these other teams just Um, sit on that. I mean, like, good on the Cleveland Guardians, but that Jose Ramirez deal was team friendly, and it was—I'm sorry—it was extremely team friendly, and it's going to sit. Oh my god, it was like
0: 50 million more than the last contract they've ever signed, right?
1: Exactly. So, and not only was it team friendly, the player got underpaid. That is going to sit as their top contract for a while, I would assume. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I'm saying is like the Yankees are the Dodgers are going to keep outspending themselves with um big players at certain points i think teams like cleveland that's the last you know we saw them commit with extensions to some players but in terms of big total value contracts that's probably going to be the last one you see for for quite some time i would
0: suspect so i'm going to put you on the spot right now because i know you love that who's the next big extension in major league baseball
1: man um i feel oh damn i had a name for this and okay um
0: is it yeah I, is it pete yeah, is it Ed i, I Ed mean, rushman
1: <laughs> so rushman gets extended here at some point i think yeah. i don't think it's like massive though i think that's just like a really nice um pre-arb deal i, I think i guess pete and vlad are both
0: hmm.
1: good names uh, that i really probably shouldn't get trying and get too more creative beyond that
0: <laughs> uh yeah it, it i want to go back to what I asked you a couple of minutes ago. I, I think it's a pretty good time for the game. Um, every team, really, every team has a guy right now. Even, uh, I mean, I guess Oakland, you could argue with me. I, I, I know you tried last week. There's really not a name there, I guess. Um, and Chicago does have a couple of guys, the White Sox, but I'm not sure they're long for that team. That's probably a blow up here coming soon. But, you know, the Royals with Bobby Witt Jr. and, and others, Arizona's got three or four names. You know, Corbin Carroll's already locked in. I'm I'm talking about like the bottom teams in the league, right? Pittsburgh, we didn't even mention a player like O'Neill Cruz, who is injured for the rest of the year, but it it could be a ridiculous June Carroll-Stanton type superstar at some point in time. Um, The bad teams, Baltimore's got four four or five names now that really could hit and and are extension worthy in the next 18 to 24 months. I do think it's a good time um, for a lot of teams coming together. And by the way, that's just gonna ha- that's just gonna make the big boys spend even more. You know what I mean? If right. if the Yankees smell Toronto and Baltimore coming, it's just gonna push them to spend more. Same with the Dodgers. Obviously, you saw the, what the Padres have done already, um, and the Arizona's coming. So if Arizona starts to take steps forward, that's gonna push the Dodgers to do more and more. So I, I do think it's a very good time in that regard. So the Chicago Cubs have names. They've already started with a couple of in-season extensions, uh, and I do think that will continue as more and more happens there. But that's my takeaway from a month into Major League Baseball and having gone through the offseason we went through, which was driven by Aaron Judge, yes, but so much talk about these prospects and a month in, so many of them are hitting out of the gate to the point of where teams are looking around saying, we got to do this now. We got to pay them right now. We got to become the Atlanta Braves and start paying these guys in droves so that it doesn't catch up with us year four, year five, year six when we're in arbitration discussions. And everything goes to shit. I I like that a lot. I like where that's headed. Um, And you're right. Corbin Carroll probably left 100 million dollars on the table, but he gets to redo this thing at age 30, age 29, maybe not with Arizona. You know what I mean? Like he he gave himself the chance to make a bunch of money with this team as they sort of mature together. And then if it doesn't work out, phase two can be somewhere else for a lot more money. I think it's a really healthy approach for the best young players in the game. Which will translate into the best veteran players in the game getting gaudy contracts from the Dodgers and the Mets and the Padres and the teams that can afford to be reckless in that regard. So I know there's a 1% concern. Maybe it becomes a five percent, you know, because of the the revelation of these pre-arb extensions and, and players like Brian Reynolds to to bring it back full circle, accepting. That 100 million dollars right now is a hell of a lot of money, and this team is kind of fun. And I don't want to, really to move. My family wants to stay here. The more we get that, I think the better for the game because Brian Reynolds being on the Pirates is better for the Pirates, and that's not something they've been able to capture a lot in the past couple of decades. So uh, I just like where that's headed, and that's sort of my concluding thoughts here as we talk about big contracts. If you want to hand out the biggest contract in Orioles history to add the rushman tomorrow. I don't think like too many people are going to complain about that. I think they'd like to get Chris Davis off that list anyway. Right? <laughs> That's a forgettable situation by far. So um, I'll post this on spottrite.com, maybe with some thoughts. And uh, we'll continue our monitor this, Dan. Maybe we'll put together a nice extension list together soon and to talk about that as well, Dan. Sounds good. Thanks. Yep. Thank you.